Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm the founder of this podcast and of CoveyClub.com. And I have such an interesting conversation for you. It's Eleanor Beaton, who's the founder of Safi Media, an education and coaching company for women entrepreneurs. She's based out of Canada, and she's trying to get entrepreneurs, teach them how to scale past a million dollars in revenue. And she's so smart, and she really has a very practical approach to getting you there. And it's none of this, you have to be a unicorn or bust. It's none of this dismissive, oh, well, that just must be, wait till you hear us talk about a lifestyle business. If any of you are trying to reinvent in the entrepreneurial space, you're going to hear people dismiss you as, oh, you're not Google? Well, then you're just, quote unquote, a lifestyle business, which... I'm sure they don't say that to men. I think they say that only to women, as if the lifestyle business is pin money so we can go buy lipstick or something like that. Um, So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Eleanor and she's a reinventor herself. I always think that taking reinvention from the point of view of both somebody who's done it and somebody who then is putting their lessons out to the world is very valuable. Um, And that's why I'm really excited to talk to her. So let's talk to Eleanor. And she does a podcast called Power, Presence, and Position. And here she is. So welcome, Eleanor. I love the fact that you help women reinvent themselves and you have a reinvention story. Always my favorite combo. It's called a doubleheader. (laughs) Right, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about you and how you got into your original business and then how you got into your Safi Media and what you're doing to help women figure out what's next for them. So let's talk a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Wolfville, Nova Scotia, which is a college town on the east coast of Canada. We immigrated here from the United Kingdom. Um, my dad was a Welshman who came here to be an economics prof. My mom is a Fiji Islander. Um, and wow. she, yes. So, so we, the three of us came here. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. I, I happened to be reading Fiona Hill's book about her biography and it's all about the difference in, you know, uh, the stratifications of Welsh and this and that in England. So you might be interested if you're interested in her. Ooh. She's fascinating, fascinating, yes. fascinating. Yeah. So what did you, so what did your parents do and how did you launch into your first career then? So, you know, my dad was an economics prof. My mom, you know, when they first got together in the Fiji islands, um, my mom was a school teacher and she was the, you know, the, the main income earner in the couple. They emigrate first to the UK and then here where my dad got a job. And so when we came here, my mom, um, the culture was so different. The people were so different. The work system and becoming a teacher here was so different that she decided to stay at home and raise myself and ultimately my younger siblings. But, you know, what was so powerful about that experience is how that sort of shifted income and power dynamics in my family of origin. I can remember being a 14 year old, my mom is driving me to basketball practice. She and my dad, who had a wonderful relationship in so many ways, had a disagreement about money. And she's gripping the steering wheel and saying, Eleanor, money is power. 
always make your own. So I was just so determined, you know, to be a financially independent woman. Um, I was very interested in economics and ultimately studied economics, but I had this thing with my mom where every day we would watch personal development shows together and read personal development books together. So I had this real personal development slant. Um, I started off in advertising, but just kept wanting to tell stories. And so I did a lot of journalism as well. And ultimately brought those two things together in my mid twenties when I started my first company, which was a communications consultancy. And it was all about using the storytelling and writing and communication skills that I had to help leaders influence public policy, um, handle crisis communications, give the types of keynotes that were going to position their brand the way they wanted them to be positioned. It was all about helping leaders communicate effectively to the public. That was my first business. So you were always an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur then, right? Pretty much, uh, okay. pretty much. And it was always because I just wanted, it was really because I wanted to have independence, um, less because I saw this massive opportunity or gap in the market, but that I wanted to create an opportunity for myself to have freedom and be paid well. <laughs> that was my initial, you know, my initial kind of, um, uh, desire and also to sort of get out of office politics that I could already feel as right. a young woman working in the ad industry. Yeah, no, I'm telling both my kids to try to be as independent as possible that the corporate thing, you know, it has its benefits, but it definitely, if you, as you get older, you run into all kinds of isms, sexism, ageism, you know, everything. And it's better to have your own path and your own business and you decide what you're going to do, which is fantastic. So congratulations yeah. to you in that. So talk a little bit about how you then moved over to, am I saying it right? Safi Media? Yeah. Safi? Safi okay. Media. Yeah. And what does that mean? What does that stand for? Yeah. So it actually stands for self-actualized female innovator, which is really, you know, those are the women. We have a, a, a pretty big vision about the work that we're, that we're doing in the world. Um, and we feel that in order to accomplish that vision, um, we need the right women to work with us, whether that's through partnerships as our clients, um, as our advisors. So self-actualized female innovators and really the larger mission of Safi, which we'll get to ultimately, but it's really the, the big picture is about reinventing or championing a model of growth that actually nourishes the planet one woman owned business at a time. So I think the current model of economic growth that we have um, has a lot of externalities that go unaccounted for. So when you think about the types of issues that we're experiencing right now, climate change would of course be one of the biggest ones. The reality is you know, that it comes down to a problematic growth model and so I really feel that those self-actualized female innovators, women like myself, yourself are really are key, you know, in, in showing what a potential model of growth looks like, or a new model of growth looks like that can put together both nourishing, you know, the planet and nourishing the economy. So that that's the big mission. Um, and that's what Safi Media starts as, but the reality is that, um, you know, I was running a communications consultancy it was growing. I was working really hard um, and I was growing the company and I felt 
both proud of myself for growing this company and securing contracts and delivering and growing through word of mouth. Um, and I also felt that something was missing. I felt like I was on a grind. And then, um, you know, in 2011, my father got really sick and, you know, was ultimately diagnosed with um, a very swift, aggressive form of cancer. And, you know, within six months he was gone. And so what happened to me after that experience of loss was um, two things. On the one hand, I experienced this um, complete sort of um, dissolution of ambition. So the ambition that had really driven the growth of my company, it's like I couldn't locate it anymore. I all of a sudden didn't have it. And it was quite discombobulating. You know, I, I had experienced ambition had been one of the driving kind of forces of my personality for a long time. So that kind of disappeared. At the same time, I experienced what I've since learned from grief experts to be very normal, but was equally disconcerting, which was this odd sense of relief and of space. And that part I didn't understand, but that was the opening of, you know, what I would ultimately see as a big personal reinvention. Is that because you were tending a lot to your father emotionally, or is that what, what, where does that space come from? That's interesting. Yeah. Well, what I realized is that, you know, especially in a culture in sort of, I would describe our culture still, even though we've made, you know, tremendous progress, I think we still live inside a rather patriarchal culture and inside a patriarchal culture, there are a couple of identities that are um, really acceptable for women to hold, you know, the nurturing mother, uh, the achieving daughter, you know, is another, is another form of those identities. And what was interesting is that my ambition, the things that, that I wanted to accomplish and do in the world, I realized at that time, and, you know, I was in my thirties then, by the way, um, were still very tied up in this concept or this identity as the achieving daughter. And when all of a sudden my beloved dad, um, who, you know, um, who has been a huge fan and champion and supporter my whole life is not there anymore. It was a huge absence, but that whole identity of the achieving daughter. So doing things to attempt to fit into this role that all of a sudden is gone. There is a gap there. There is a space there. And I felt this big sense of loss. I think it's why I experienced this big loss of ambition. Um, and at the same time, you know, inside that space was a place of possibility. Um, and so I ultimately spent the next sort of three to four months, actually maybe a little longer than that, maybe four to five months. Um, I did ex only what I needed to do in the business that I had, but I mostly spent a lot of time walking. Like it was like Wordsworth style, you know, the romantic poets, like I was walking for like two hours a day, um, just experiencing the quiet, the silence and, um, the absence of ambition and what uh, Safi media was born in that silence. Did you have any idea that you had the, you know, the ambitious daughter syndrome until then, were you even aware of it? Cause I think a lot of us do. And, and it's interesting yeah. that you, it became very evident to you then. The language to the language to describe what I had came to me later. 
it came to me later, you know, when I, because, you know, as a result of starting my next business, I felt this big call to work exclusively with women, which is a call so many women today can relate to. And I started to ask myself, why, why did I feel so called to work with women? Why do so many other women feel called to work exclusively with other women? What's going on here? And I started to kind of do my, um, my sort of own field of study and discovery about what was behind that. Um, and that's when I, sort of started to discover these roles that become available to us um, in sort of a patriarchal culture. At the time, all I knew, the language that I would have used then if we were talking at this time, sort of 2012, 2013, I would have said, suddenly I didn't feel like I had to live up to this standard that wasn't mine anymore. That's interesting, yeah. But you weren't, but you weren't conscious of it until he passed away. No, because um, exactly because all of a sudden I had my person that, you know, I I didn't. It was a loss because I, you know, it was like, who do I? There's this great news. I just got a new client. I just scored my biggest contract ever, Dad. <laughs> you know, and I would usually oh. like rush to tell my dad, like celebrate with him. It was this. Oh, so it was, it was just a an aspect connection. of our. It was a right. real connection. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it was both a, it was a really positive nurturing thing. Um, but it was also, um, it was interesting, you know, it was never, it's never something I'd ask for. And I think this type of relief that I'm talking about, um, anybody who's experienced the type of loss I'm talking about, you'd never ask for it. And yet there is this, there is, um, something that comes when you realize like so many women do, we define ourselves in terms of our relationship to other people. And so when a cornerstone relationship disappears, how we, you know, that's the, that's the sort of forge of a new path of reinvention. And so that is, you know, I realized in that moment, the thing that was missing is that as a journalist, as a communications consultant, I was putting all of my time, energy, and skill into telling someone else's story. And um, I was, my role was really to be like an invisible hand in that. And I came to that, the realization that I couldn't do that anymore, that I had a message to share and it was time to share it. Awesome. And the walking fits in with one of my good friends who I've interviewed on this podcast is Joyce Shulman. You might want to just look at, she does a thing called 99walks.fit. And she tries to get women. Yeah. She's got a big group of women. She's trying to grow it um, because she believes she had, there's a lot about fitness that she calls it the fitness industrial complex that leaves out a lot of regular women who can't afford to go to a gym or don't want to, or don't want to buy fancy outfits, all that stuff. But also that is exactly her story, which is she used to walk as her meditation Mm. to to work out problems um, when she was a teenager. So you just might enjoy listening to her and um, following her. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. So let's talk about how women from your perspective, um, where are you located? Tell me where you are now. Yeah, on the East Coast of Canada in the same town. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Okay. On the same town you grew up in? In the same town I grew up in. Wow. Awesome. Okay. 
So tell me a little bit about what you do um, exactly with the media and how you help women reinvent themselves. And is there any particular type of woman that you sort of zone in on? Mm-hmm. So Safi Media, um, we are a company on a mission. Our mission is very specific. So we're here. Our goal is to double the number of female founders who sustainably scale past a million dollars in annual revenue by 2030 um, through business coaching, entrepreneurship education, and storytelling. And so that means that we need to impact, inspire, train, coach, support, develop knowledge skills base in about 200,000 additional female founders in North America by 2030 through our work. So that's very specifically what we're here to do. And, um, and the goal behind that, like, so that's the mission and, and the vision, I guess, sort of underneath that or above that or encasing that is that I have a deep belief that our current model of economic growth is broken and that um, we need to uh, sort of be proof points or case studies that you can uh, build, you can be a model of economic growth um, and you can provide, you know, build wealth, provide employment, contribute meaningfully to the tax base while you nourish the, um, the founders and the people who work in that company and the planet itself. So really, really clear. And so, you know, that's the sort of larger mission. We have a very specific mission, you know, and how to do it. And the way that we do it is through um, our focus on what I call a jewel business. And so a jewel business is a company that grows, top line grows 30% or more a year. So it's doable um, until such time as the founder decides to accelerate or decelerate that growth, has a 30% profit margin. That's a good, healthy profit margin to be able to have cash reserves and also fuel additional growth. And most importantly, the founder herself has 30% open time in her calendar. So when we backtrack from the vision to the mission to um, our mechanism, like how we actually do that, I know that the place where we'll have the biggest impact typically are um, like consulting type business owners. So business owners who are selling services or knowledge Um, and who are already at about, you know, six figures already. So they know how to sell. They're typically in that sort of delivery trap of dollars per out for hours. Um, Most of the quote unquote, how to scale knowledge out there is, um, doesn't feel applicable to those clients. And they know that in order to create the kind of scale and impact they're looking for, they need to reinvent their companies um, in a way so that they're actually, rather than selling their labor, they're now selling assets. And how do you do that and maintain quality? That's the kind of very tactical reinvention um, that I'm talking about. And that's what we do. Very interesting, because that is a problem. A lot of, as I was telling you, accelerators, all those things, they're for people who make stuff. Yeah, It's very hard for people to teach you what to do when you are selling a service. That totally. seems to be a very different animal. And, um, you know, a lot of the women in Covey Club or around Covey Club, 
they're mostly service-based. There are some that are have come up with things they want to sell, um, and uh, it, but it's tough. This is just a really tough thing. So what's your background in this area? I can see some of the things, visiting Women's Executive Exchange Program at the Yale School mm -hmm. of Management. Um, what, what is your background? How did you get to that? And what kind of success have you had? Can you give us an example or two? Yeah, absolutely. So my background, um, the place where it started really was um, years spent as a business journalist. So I, for, you know, eight years or so, I was a business journalist and I focused almost exclusively on covering high growth companies. And as I, you know, continued to sort of niche inside that whole practice, it became more and more female-led, fast-growing companies. So these would be the companies that would, so I'm based in Canada. These would have been the companies that would be on our equivalent of like the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies type of thing. And so it was, um, so I would interview the founders and CEOs of these companies, uh, you know, guys like Robert Herjavec, who of course is well-known now in Shark Tank. Um, and it would be, these would be generally anywhere from 60 to 90 minute interviews, hundreds and hundreds a year interviewing these CEOs on exactly how they were achieving and hitting things like a thousand percent growth rate, <laughs> you know, year over year. So just crazy, ridiculous, amazing growth. And that was an incredible baptism into growth strategy. And it was also an eye-opening look at the massive costs that that kind of growth can take on a founder who doesn't have the emotional underpinning to withstand it. And um, so that kind of thing was happening at the same time, you know, as I'm in my former business, as I'm doing this communication strategy work and uh, business journalism, I'm finding that many of the women, you know, in, inside the leadership teams that I'm working with, they start asking me, you know, Hey, do you do coaching? And I was like, no, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't even really know what that is. So I started investigating it and ultimately, um, got trained with one of my favorite coaches who is Martha Beck. Um, oh, Martha, so really, she used to write for me at Red Book. <laughs> right. So like, funny. Yeah, I know she was she's, just starting out. Listen, yeah. I get it. Well, I mean, writing the ability to write and like means to be a good writer, you have to think clearly. And so when you, and, and to be an interviewer, you have to be able to inter, you know, think about good questions. And so when you put together journalism and um, like advertising and, and communication strategy with coaching, that's, that's really what brought me, you know, to this place. So um, so what did you ask me another question there? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, what I, did yeah. you find Eleanor when you were interviewing all these people with these tremendous amounts of growth? Mm -hmm. Did you find, is everybody just making it up and doing their own strategy? And mm -hmm. did you find any common anything among it? Or was it just yep. neurotic, crazy, wackadoodle people, <laughs> you know, who, who can't do anything else or focus on anything else? Yeah. So, um, there were definitely some of those <laughs> for sure, but, um, there were a number, I guess, a sort of rites of passage that if I were to be really general about talking about high growth, um, companies, there's sort of, you know, a bunch of different rites of passage. 
So um, one of the rites of passage is the um, when the entrepreneur discovers that um, when you start to grow and scale, you actually are scaling kind of everything at the same time. So this is important. So where there is complexity in your business, as you start to communicate with more customers, like let's say you have a company and you're selling uh, something and there's some complexity in your business. You don't have a lot of systems in place. You're doing a bunch of different things, you know, for these particular clients, you hit it big with a particular advertising campaign. Now you have double the, the number of clients and all of a sudden your revenues are growing but the complexity inside your business is also growing. So, so everything kind of scales at once. And so um, this was where, you know, I would talk to so many entrepreneurs who had really harrowing, massively stressful experiences, like stressful experiences to the tune. There were, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I talked to who had panic attacks, who had major health conditions and issues from dealing with this. So that kind of is one of the first, you know, milestones, like even if I think about the types of customers or clients that we would work with who they've already sort of established demand for what they do, but what they start to find is that if scale means discomfort, if scale means complexity, if scale means it's going to be so painful to serve all these different clients doing all these different things, they're just not going to try to scale or attempt to grow. So the revenues are going to stay small by design. So one of the first, you know, so I, I definitely saw that in the work that I was doing. So inside our own programs, you know, I really saw that one of the first sort of decisions or milestones, um, a woman entrepreneur who wants to scale, you know, is to really see that her niche and her position in the marketplace is an asset and that that becomes as focused and as much of an anchor for growth as it can be. So that's an example. Is there too much obsession? Is there, here's a question. Hmm. I have this sense and I may be wrong and we're right in the position that you're talking about. It's time for us to scale. Mm -hmm. And there seems to be an obsession, especially among entrepreneurs I don't know if it's around the world, but certainly in the United States, that unless you're going through that, oh my God, it's so horrible, this and that. Uh, uh, if you're not having drama, that it doesn't mean anything. That why can't you go the route of bazillions of businesses that happened before the tech explosion, where businesses grew at a regular pace, not making anybody's hair set on fire, no one's suicidal, just a good, you know, increasing long-term, no, not Google, not everybody's going to be Google, but you might have a really good, very strong business, but do you have to kill yourself and set your hair on fire? And I, I just wonder if we are addicted to the drama and in order to make ourselves, if, if we're not having drama, we must be failures. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know any of that totally. sort of? Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's so there's, you know, it's hard to separate ourselves or divorce ourselves from the culture. So I, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, being an entrepreneur was a ridiculous idea. <laughs> you know, like, it just wasn't as much of a thing, you know, as it is today, but I think it's hard to underestimate 
the power of, of Silicon Valley thinking and how it has shaped how we think about entrepreneurship. And of course it makes sense. Netflix, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, these are all massive media companies that um, control a big flow of information that we use all the time. And these companies have their roots, you know, in Silicon Valley and in Silicon Valley, what investors are looking for is the next unicorn. So a company that has a billion dollar valuation. That's the great hope. That's the promised land. That's what every aspiring fresh-faced founder um, in that culture, embedded in that culture, is thinks that they need to be. And so huge amounts of resources are allocated and wasted in trying to produce the great, the next great unicorn. And, you know, in my business, as I was building my business doing the work that we're talking about. I remember going to conferences and sort of, you know, anchored in that sort of startup culture and at the networking breaks and that kind of thing, having conversations. And when I told people about what I did, I would sort of get a bit of side eye and quickly be dismissed as a quote unquote lifestyle business. Meanwhile, I was probably the making a lot more money. Well, I am right? so sick of what is this just like dismiss? It's all dismissive. And I it's don't know if men, do men hear this? Or is this women? If you're not, if you're not trying to be a billion dollar business, somehow it's a lifestyle business yeah. that you're just trying to fit in between raising children. Do they say this yeah. to men or is it just women? Uh, you know, I don't think they say it as much to men. Not I can't at all. imagine any man no. saying, I, I imagine the man would say, what's a lifestyle business? What are you talking about? Exactly. Like, and that's the thing, you know, meanwhile, the reality is I am at the time I was like, guess what? I, I, I have a cash flow positive company. You are building a business that will go nowhere. You don't know how to sell. You have a piece of technology that might work and you've just gotten $250,000 of other people's money to try to figure it out. Um, it was just, you know, it, and, and this, this is what I was experiencing. And I realized that we didn't, that, you know, while over the last 15, 20 years, as women have started businesses at, a, at an increasingly fast rate, um, there's this new, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneurial landscape has changed. And there's, there are many women out there who are starting service-based businesses, like the, type, like the type I have that you have, like so many of your listeners probably have. And we do actually have zero desire, potentially, to be a unicorn. So what, and if we don't name ourselves, if we don't, you know, really share the narrative of where we're headed, they will, they will do it for us. So that's where this concept of a jewel business came from, you know, as I really started to go through intake, um, interviews with clients from, you know, over five years, I started to see the types of things that we were working toward that we wanted to create. And so that's where this idea, this concept of 30, 30, 30 comes, because I agree with you. I think when you are anchored in a place of sufficiency of enoughness, yes. you feel like you have to prove yourself. Yes. You can just allow it. Yeah. Yes. And we can have a wonderful business. You can have a business that you sell, but you don't need to kill yourself no. and you're secure enough that if you're not, you know, fleecing people like Elizabeth Holmes, it's okay. You know, <laughs> right. it's just exactly 
So interesting. So, cause we're at the end here. So Eleanor, just tell us um, what exactly do you do this through classes or through yeah. masterminds and, and then yeah. where can people find you also? Yeah. So there's really everything. So I have sort of two core programs and I would say, and we, we were talking about this in the green room, you know, when you're working with women in this way, um, I think it's important to acknowledge sort of four parts. One is there's a culture. So I have sort of two programs where we work on this. There's there's sequential, but part one is the culture. So creating a culture in which women thrive um, and can be, so that's sort of part one. Part two is the community who is in that, you know, um, it's coaching and curriculum. So it's a mix of those four things that are very specifically designed for the very specific types of women, entrepreneur, real businesses that we're talking about. So that's really how, um, how we do it. And where do people find you, Eleanor? Yeah, they can go to eleanorbeaton.com or my podcast, which is called power presence position. Awesome. This is so wonderful. And now I'm going to drag you in to come teach one, one hour at Covey Club, because this is so specific. And I, I want so many, it is such a turnoff. You know, I've been in corporate life my whole life, and then I transitioned into being an entrepreneur. And all these people I would talk to, they would, you know, and I would tell them about Covey Club, they'd be like, well, it's not Google. And I'd be like, no shit, Sherlock. And I don't want it to be. <laughs> That's not what I'm aiming for. Hello. And that's okay. I want a great business where I give back, where I change women's lives. I would like to make some money. I don't need to be Google. I'm fine. I sent my kids to college. I mean, sure. I'd love to have all that money. I'd give it all away. But like, why is everything this or nothing? So I would love to drag you in to to talk about that at some point. And um, I think you're just amazing. I love what you do. And Um, I want to get my listeners, go check her out and look at Eleanor Beaton. Is it eleanorbeaton.com? Yep. Eleanorbeaton.com. B-E-A-T-O-N. Fantastic. Eleanor, thank you so, so much. I so appreciate it. And guess what? We can have wonderful, sustaining businesses that you can even sell and you don't have to be a unicorn. Hello. So thank you so much for listening to us today. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you are looking for more reinvention, please go back and look at all the reinvention stories we have told on Reinvent Yourself. And mosey on over to coveyclub.com where you will find all kinds of written conversation about how to reinvent yourself, everything from working on your personal brand to I mean, literally everything, how to use LinkedIn to get yourself on a board, whatever it is you may want or need, we've got it. So I hope we'll see you again. Subscribe, leave us some stars, leave us a comment, pass us along to friends who you know need to reinvent or in the process of trying to figure out if they need to reinvent. It's a long journey. And it is about process. And the wonderful thing is just starting even listening to a podcast is the way to get going no matter what is happening around you. Just take the first step, download the first podcast, and believe it or not, that will give you the courage to go on. 
So I hope to see you next time and join us over at CoveyClub.com for more. Take care.